Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good elevenses, good tiffin, good, well, who knows, wherever, however, whomever I may find you. This is Alan Averill, this is Agitators Anonymous, episode 144. Coming to you from a cold and rainy, pretty miserable Dublin. But when is it not in January, you ask? The answer is never. Come on, global warming. Make my Januaries a little bit more spicy. Well, anyway, episode 144, January the 27th. The podcast... Straight Out of the Gate is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. I have a new sponsorship code, AA2023. You've got to go to Indie Merch. Um, You follow the links underneath the podcast description and just go to IndieMerch.com slash MetalBladeRecords. So that's usual URL and Indie I-N-D-I-E, merch.com, Metal Blade Records, and you can use the promo code AA2023 and you'll get 10% off your orders, and they do ship worldwide. You can follow me in Emtheang underscore Primordial over on Instagram to watch my not-so-exciting adventures and watch, well, see, well, whatever's going on there, not very much, and Primordial underscore Official. Um, Last Tuesday's podcast was uh, introducing a new band that I'm playing in called Verminous Serpent, uh, playing the bass and doing some vocals. It's disgusting, filthy old late 80s, early 90s, black death metal. Um, If you're just listening to the Friday episode, go back to Tuesday and have a little listen. I put a whole song up um, uh, to try and spike a little bit of interest. Well, that's the name of the game, isn't it? Anyway, so... I made this particular podcast a week or so ago, and I sat on it. Um, I think I made it under the gloom of a rather heavy hangover, and I thought to myself, um, you know how it is. Once you come out of the hangover gloom, you go, I wonder, we've all had it. We've all had it. Those conversations, well, those internal conversations the next day where you kind of think to yourself, oh, did I say something a bit too... A bit too out there last night after five or six drinks. Was it a bit too much? Did I offend somebody? Did I this, that, the other? I guess they call it the fear. Well, I think I made this particular podcast while I was in the grip, or let's say the outskirts of the city of fear, uh, something like this. It's not spicy. Um, it's not, you know, a vindaloo. It's more of a madras, if we can keep up that kind of curry talk. Incidentally, a friend of mine who... I actually was arguing about uh, all of this kind of stuff only during the week with he was one of those guys that whenever you would order a curry would order the hottest thing and then ask them over the phone to go put more on put more on and then we would all sit and watch him as his as the speeds of sweat would begin to fucking 
roll down his face and his hair would stick to his forehead and he would have to get up and down to the loo and he'd be going do you have any milk and blah blah and every time like clockwork and we go what are you doing what are you doing i guess that's what masochism is my friends i guess that's what masochism is and if you know what masochism is then probably that's why you've sat through 140 four episodes of Agitators Anonymous. Anyway, what the fuck am I talking about? Who knows? What this episode is, and I've called it Unjustice for All, I think, unless I think of a cooler name, um, it's about our lack of faith in institutions. I think there's a few things I should say before I should preface the podcast. Well, I mean, you won't notice. I'll just edit it in. I'll just slide it in after this. But um, it's about our lack of faith in institutions, the whys and the wherefores. But like I said, I have to preface it a little bit, as I noticed a big uptick in listeners in the last couple of weeks, um, several hundred more per day, actually, uh, which I thank you all for. But I have to reiterate, um, for those of you from the start, please forgive me for, you know, continuously saying the same thing. But I consider myself more or less politically homeless. Um, and most of the polarized arguments happening today in society are simply divide and conquer tactics. Um, employed by, well, what shall we say without sounding conspiratorial, but the agents of power and influence, um, whether it's multinational corporations, big tech, pharma, um, or governments seeking to distract people while they just get on with their other business. Um, I think I think that most of the, you know, the, the culture wars, the polarization, etc., etc., are just divide and conquer strategies. Um, because, you know, if people would actually fully realize that they're far more in common with the people they think they're fighting, then, you know, what shall we call them? The, the 1% or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Then there might be more trouble. Anyway, the middle ground, the middle ground, which I consider myself to be. I mean, we are nuanced people, are we not, who have views from a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, that's every that's the way things are. You know, I constantly rail against the idea that we have to be binary in this sort of modern culture war idea. And um, you can only be from one side or the other. The answer is, of course, not true. We are nuanced people with complicated relationships to all of these things. But the middle ground, it ain't really a sexy place to be. And I've said many times, a moderate woman says reasonable thing doesn't get clicks or views or traffic. The derangement of social media simply drives us apart. Love will tear us apart, my friends. Um, So my perspectives here are not wedded to either side of the culture war, at least not in my opinion. You can see it differently if you want. And that is, of course, your prerogative. And I would um, stand up for your right to have that prerogative. Um, And that's what we should all do. Defend everyone's um, position and defend the ability for people to have the the complete contrary, um, contrary point of view and allow them to have that rather than shut them down or cancel them or whatever. Um, But what Agitators Anonymous in its own small town kind of way, small town boy kind of way, great song, by the way, um, great vocals and goddamn can he still sing. Uh, go and check it out. I was watching one of those. I was gone down one of those YouTube rabbit holes recently where you just watch old bands uh, from the 80s. And Jimmy Somerville, my God, he can still sing. Anyway, what am I talking about? Um, I digress, my friends. I digress. But Agitators Anonymous in its small town way uh, does stand, of course, for free speech. It's one of the pillars of our civilized world. Um, and at least too many people, in my opinion, take it for granted these days, or they seem to think that the words free speech are a dog whistle to extremity. It ain't true. They aren't. Because once it's gone, it's gone, my dears. Oh, I can hear a police siren outside. They've finally come for me or one of my cooler neighbors. Anyway, I did a podcast a while ago called Democracy is Not the Default Setting of Society. Um, so... Again, as the preamble into the podcast, but consider the monetary system. Um, If we take an institution that we all fundamentally have to deal with every, um, you know, all the time, right? How can we as a society come to the conclusion that this piece of paper, I'm holding a five euro note in front of me, is worth something? Um, That I can go into a shop and buy something as I just did an hour or so ago, because there is a pact an agreement between me, the shop, and the state that this piece of paper is worth something. Well, what is it really? It's just a piece of paper. And we are inculcated from birth into this idea. It's how a functioning state runs. When these things collapse, then society collapse. Now, of course, the barter system it replaced has its benefits. You know, maybe I should do a podcast on anarchism. Um, Because certainly uh, over the last couple of years, 
Um, it's looked more and more attractive, some elements of it. But anyway, what I mean is, consider if we go back into antiquity. Um, a shoemaker, you are a shoemaker and wanted to trade with the candlestick maker, your wares. You wanted to trade work. And what if we introduce a third party to this equation uh, or someone who wishes to trade something else? Eventually, you, you need to kind of keep some sort of a score, right? A record. And contrary to popular opinion, opinion, this is kind of where the monetary system um, was sort of invented to keep scores so that the law of the claw, i.e. that the bigger, um, stronger, more powerful person can just take whatever they wish. Maybe you are a small shareholding. Shareholding. Come on, Averill. It wouldn't be like that. Maybe you're a small uh, sheep farmer and you are trading something with a goat herder. I don't know. On the steps of the... Um, the steps of the Anatolian plain in Turkey. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're slight of frame. You're a small kind of person with, um, you know, not much power, not much land. And you have your eight sheep and you want to trade something. But the goat herder is far more physically imposing. Well, well, well then I suppose initially what the monetary system grew out of was the tacit agreement with the piece of paper that you owe this to this person for that which is the trade. So they just don't go... Fuck you, I'm going to take whatever you have. Anyway, I butchered that explanation. But my point is, it's the introduction of a third party to this equation. And then the and then all of our, um, our wish to trade something else, eventually you need to keep some kind of score, a record, right? So this piece of paper we agree on is worth something, the institution of finance. But what in reality, say, for example, is gold? It's something shiny that comes from the ground. I mean, to be, you know, to say it in a rather dumb way. But how did it come to pass that we agree it's... It's somehow worth X amount or silver. At some stage, it was daffodils or azure or salt or any manner of natural atoms. We as society have agreed have a certain worth. This is a mutual pact between us as individuals and the state. Why am I talking about all this? Because I'm just talking about when these things collapse, then society collapses. This is a mutual pact between us as individuals and the state. And what I see in places, or at, or at least it seems to me, that the political state has revealed itself as more or less corrupt, a kind of pantomime, Hollywood for the ugly, as they say. Our faith in media to tell the truth seems at an all-time low. Or maybe it's just me and my cronies, I don't know, but it certainly seems so. Our state seems compromised by the power of lobbying to the point of being unable, sometimes in my opinion, to make its own constitutional decisions, or at least very, very influenced. Maybe it's always been this way. And of course, you know, it has to a degree. We go and we can go back to um, Edward Bernays and the influence of marketing over politics in 1910, 1920. Um, I would watch Century of the Self, an amazing documentary series, perhaps the greatest documentary series by Adam Curtis. And it's one of the most seminal documentaries of the end of the 1990s. Um, I'll put a link, link somewhere in the description. I get it. I get it. What I'm trying to point out is that all of these things exist because we have a mutual agreement between us. And if that falls apart then what does it leave? If you, um, you know, view the mainstream media with suspicion and wonder, well, is this pantomime or is this just editorializing or is it really telling the truth? Then what I'm saying is the bond between you and what we once understood as the news has been broken. Um, and it feels more and more the truth is something of an inconvenience, myths and disinformation. What's the difference between those two things? Politics and science as theater um, paid for by lobby, but exaggerated for effect by social media and the modern news cycle. Anyway, anyway, this is something of a rant. I have a feeling I would, like I said, I was hungover. I have a feeling I had the fear. Well, I know I was hungover. I don't know about the fear, but a fear. So it has that air of an angry, tired brain, pinky and the brain. Um, today we take over the world. What like we always tried to do. But remember, the podcast is called Agitators Anonymous. Skepticism is the only rational perspective, or at least I can see the one nearest to the bullseye of trying to find your way to some kind of truth. I don't know what I consider to be the best policy, even when I am hungover. Um, but I do apologize if you ever met me when I was drinking and I was a rude and obnoxious asshole. What can I do? It's called Agitators Anonymous. Right, my friends? Um, and justice for all. Democracy, do we believe in it or not? Our faith in institutions. If you are like me, then over the last couple of years, you will have become um, pretty disillusioned with what we would call the democratic process. 
Now, I think it's pretty clear that the faith we have in the institutions of state and governance are, I think, at an all-time low. Um, and I'm going to try and look at the reasons why I think that is. Maybe you will agree with me. Or you might not. That's all right. But Or maybe you will think that I'm being paranoid and that a percentage of each generation always thinks the same thing. And that the truth is that the democratic process, however we may have come to define it, has always had problems. Uh, much like when I say, you know, things like free speech, absolutism, that kind of thing, it comes with problems. And that is something also that the democratic process comes with. But I'm going to try and lay out why I think um, our faith has become um, dissolved, um, somewhat dissolved in the democratic process and how lobbying has compromised it to the point where your average person, I think, views politics in terms of pantomime or theatre or sports. But we'll get to that. Um, or maybe you're one of those people who won't see what I'm talking about. I know you're out there, although I have a hard time imagining Agitators Anonymous is one of your staple podcast listens. But who knows? Maybe it's a grudge listen or a hate listen, or who knows? Perhaps you're one of those open-minded people that apparently exist out there in the world. A chimera, a white elephant, whatever you are, whatever you call yourself, who knows? Or maybe you're one of those tiresome folks who often slide into my DMs to chastise me for being stupid enough to use the word democracy and state in loud terms. It never worked. It's all just a facade. Again, my answer is not quite. If you weren't so absolute in your argument, I would take a percentage of that. Yes, of course, there's always been problems and it's been curated and lobbied by great institutions of power. Um, but to say that it never worked, I think is uh, incorrect. To say it works less now than it did five years ago, I would say it's probably correct. But to say it works better now than it did, um, I don't know, let's say in the 1930s in some countries in Europe, or the 40s or 50s, or you look at, for example, uh, the crypto-fascist dictators in Portugal, Spain, Greece, um, in the 50s and 60s, I think you could say it works better now than it did then. There's all measure, uh, all different measurements of how we look at these things. But um, you know, again, my answer is nothing is quite um, black and white in terms of this argument. Nothing is quite um, absolute except um, in the world of Agitators Anonymous. Anyway, the certainly, certainly, the most modern example is, I think, objectively, democracy, human rights, or civil liberties were in a better state before the pandemic than after. And every, gov every government, well, every government I've looked into or talked to people who live um, under its structure. Mine and yours introduced emergency powers that directly affect you and will do in the future without sunset clauses, which means um, they weren't going to end when the, um, you know, the whole pandemic and lockdown ended. You were by percentages, I would say, relatively freer than you were five years ago. And most likely by some measurement, let us say financially, your average person well, let's say your average person in 1987 was not saddled with huge financial debt. They often find themselves in the year or did find themselves in the year 2017. That's a very different um, metric of how we live our life or the huge sums of money that we took out um, to saddle our middle class, um, you know, lifestyles with. So there are metrics to measure these things, and I feel they are relatively solid. So why? do we have less and less faith in institutions of state power and governance? Well, the first reason, or the most pertinent reason for this is lobbying. Um, as I understand it, there used to be well, limits, especially in the 60s. I think it's the late 1970s in the USA, they removed the obstacle of how much money you could lobby, um, you know, the political parties in the United States. It's somewhere around 1976 or 1977. But there were, there did used to be limits on the power of financial lobbying. lobbying. Um, but you are quite easily able to find a list of um, American Senate members um, or American politicians who have shares in various companies, who uh, how much they are worth, um, scandalous amounts. And it's clear um, they are on the take, on the make. Politicians now more than ever, I feel, are compromised by the power of lobbying. I mean, I know I've talked about it before, but Gerhard Schroeder, former you know head of German state chancellor, I think, walked straight from the government of uh, Germany to the board of you know Gazprom, um, um, taking Russian, you know, taking Russian money. But how many other Europeans? 
uh, European politicians did something similar. Um, you'll probably won't have read much about the recent EU lobbying scandal. Um, but the story was there, but not so many papers really seem to report on it. The head of the EU, uh, Commissioner Ursula von der Leyen, is caught texting the head of Pfizer, fixing vaccine and booster purchase. Does anything happen? Did you vote for her? I didn't. Is there seemingly any accountability? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, it's the mixture of the power of the new lo- sort of lobbying agenda, mixed, um, you know, mixed with the idea that for these people in positions of power, there isn't really either any accountability or the system of democracy never really seems to deal with uh, these things anymore. It seems like, well, it feels increasingly like there is no jeopardy anymore, um, no system of law that is able to bring the political class to heel. Increasingly, it seems that the power of the company's lobbying is greater than the rule of law in any nation state. Um, which is, in my opinion, of course, the sort of globally globalist vision which is laid out by the you know people like the World Economic Forum. Um, Sweden resisted lockdown, but who else? In Ireland, we had one TD, that's member of the Dáil, which is our parliament. Uh, one representative in the parliament asked questions and put the other side of the debate. Just one. I would contest that the power of, for example, the pharma lob- lobby um, is, in some on some level, greater than the power of the Irish state to resist or at least in the perfect storm that was lockdown and the pandemic, it seemed to be. And politicians rushed uh, not only to protect their reputations, um, problems that might come down the line from such an authoritarian decision, which we are seeing now in the medical sector, in hospitals, um, but I'm not going to get into that. But they simply put that on the long finger and said, we'll deal with that when they come, we'll make this decision now. But immediately it was time to circle the wagons and follow the narrative. But now... As that narrative has, I'm not going to say crumbled, but certainly is constantly altered, readdressed, changed. Um, and can people can see what 0% COVID strategy looks like, exemplified in the horror of the Chinese state, which, of course, leaders like Trudeau have openly expressed praise for. But what, what happened? It feels more and more people are getting the feeling that our politicians were compromised by the power of lobby. A huge transfer of wealth and power. Um... And do you believe that there will be an inquiry into what happened? Is there any appetite for that? Certainly doesn't feel like it. So what happens? Most people can remember, for example, being told that this came, you know, this came from a wet market, despite the fact that there was, you know, gain of function research labs in the area of Wuhan in China studying exactly what escaped. So were we all lied to? Were we all lied to by the establishment as it drew the blinds on an inquiry? Um, Maybe. Perhaps. Then what else were we lied to about? Is it any wonder um, that for many people, belief in the institutions of science and the medical community is at an all-time low? And that is not a good thing. That is really not a good thing. I'm a firm believer in the power of science, um, in scientists and their research. But did we learn that maybe the funding of um, their research compromises their ability to tell the public the truth? Possibly. Certainly, we've all seen compilations of those number of programs, for example, on the likes of CNN, sponsored by Pfizer and other pharma. Do we really think that those programs are then going to objectively criticize the actions of pharma on a program sponsored by them? The second, I think we probably know the answer to that. The second and the most important part of this is the freedom of the press, freedom of speech. We can see... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The millions poured into ownership of the media narrative, for example, by various billionaires philanthropic foundations are that media going to support their view of the world or not um we would be i think naive to suggest otherwise of course again nothing is absolute but the old media is captured by two things one is clickbait advertising and the other is their audience the old model of journalism i think is largely dead in the mainstream because traffic through their sites are driven by clickbait it wasn't the job of journalism before let's say, you know, in the 40s, or the 50s or the 60s, it wasn't really the job of journalism to put a thumb on the scale and tip things in one direction or another, to editorialise um, and opinionate about news stories. It was to attempt impartiality. I don't really feel it's like that so much anymore. News readers used to be, you know, for better or for worse, a trusted source of information. But now, start with what pleases your audience and work backwards is kind of more how it feels to me. So the media hunts its audience. The audience is captured by them. And so politics becomes a sport and you pick your team. And sadly, what are most people interested in? All the scandalous, the salacious, sexy, evil things. Politicians the world over must be thankful for the royal family scandal right now. It has everything. Um, just like the world or the media was obsessed with the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard nonsense, it's now got to kind of level up from that. Oh, brilliant. This has everything. Racism, violence, the royal family, um, and our natural inclination to slow down uh, for car crashes, so to see, so to say. But this is a view into the lives of the most rich and privileged people there is. Kings, queens, princes and princesses. And here is the world obsessed by it and how the political class must love the fact that this is the smokescreen. A view, and the, this royal scandal is a view into the very feudal system or the remnants of it. Our own nation states, republics, have sought to tear apart. Well, some of us, some of our states have, mainly the ones who existed under empire and colony. But the old feudal system and the divine right of inheritance, certainly Ireland as a republic did so, um, but check your news sites. They report more on the royal spat than they do, for example, on the Twitter files. That's for sure. We as humans are drawn to stories like this. The isms, the phobias, the sexy details. Um, so collusion between pharma, tech, deep state and government is generally, it feels too complicated. And certainly too complex to be portrayed fairly by media outlets that have been captured by their audience. The audience of most, let's say, for example, left-leaning outlets now has a new bogeyman. His name, you know, Elon Musk, who they were singing the praises of a couple of years ago. But despite his awkward commitments to freedom of speech, um, I still don't quite know what to make of the guy. And I admit his rather confusing backstory and intentions. Um, freedom of speech is now, those three words are somehow a right-wing dog whistle. How could that happen? Um, I would advise reading 1984 if you want an Orwellian answer to all of that. But surely more speech is better for the conversation. Or would people prefer if Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and other munitions companies own Twitter? It seems so sometimes. The reason is, I think, because in the modern day cult of personality, we can put a face to who we are told is the enemy. Whereas a huge conglomeration can corpor corporation um, is a bit more complicated. My old, die-hard, anti-empirical, 80s lefty dad would be shaking his head at the new left, who seemed to be backing munitions being sent to war rather than finding a peaceful solution to the Ukraine crisis around the discussion table. CNN or The Guardian reports things a certain way, and the other side reflect the same thing back at them. 
Um, part, part of that is because their market model and survival is based on their audience. They've been captured by their audience. They often say, um, you know, they often say, if you take someone a simple receipt for something you've purchased, let's say a coffee, as simple as that, and you take the area that they paid for within, was it soy, was it full milk? Well, fill milk, what was the price? What was the kind of shop? What city are they in? Are they in the suburbs? Are they in the city centre? What area? Hmm. You could possibly extrapolate maybe from that and a few other receipts of their purchases for the week, their politics. But I sense and I feel it shouldn't really be that way. And I think that for a percentage of people who aren't out there wading into wars on Twitter or taking online life that seriously, they are um, complex people. Um, who have beliefs, ideas, and politics that straddle the middle ground, or they're part A, part column B, um, and that doesn't really fit into the binary narrative they're told. Um, they belong partly to both sides of the argument. You can take for you can, for example, have voted for gay marriage, but also not want an open door policy on immigration. You can have both of those views without being a traitor to either cause of the binary choice you've been siphoned off into, but yet. We are constantly told there is only a binary choice and holding common ground, if only for a moment with someone you've been told is evil, is a cardinal sin. Point being on those first two points, um, our media, which we can see as lobbied, preaches to its base. But it feels like people are switching off and looking for other sources. And it does feel like we're entering a phase where old media and these huge lobby groups are going to wrest control back of everything and label any opinion that they disagree with as dis or misinformation. It seems to be already happening, right? What does that mean? It could simply mean having a different opinion to these power bases can now be labeled as misinformation. I mean, I kind of think this is clearly what they want, right? At least this is how it seems to me. So proper journalism has a financial model. It does have a financial model to survive, like, for example, Substack. And Matt Taibbi being a good example, the guy who released the Twitter files. But if you're on his Substack and take a look at his writing, it's been amazing over the last decade and a half. But he's a good example of what I would consider a proper journalist who upholds the principle of, I'm here to hold power to account, not to get into bed with, a, with power um, of any sort, so to speak. Now, for some people, of course, who've decided they hate Elon Musk, they might see that as being compromised. But if you're given this, this, this wealth of information to impartially um, release to the public, that's kind of what journalism is, right? You don't editorialize it. But it doesn't. what he writes on his substack doesn't reach your average person via the broadsheets. That's, I guess, the reason why he's such an active talking head on social media. But right now, for example, our own media here is struggling with hospital, the hospital admissions narrative, an excess death mortality rate issue. Um, without treading on that particular narr narrative, um, it's clear that to report on things in an uneditorialized way would be to contradict itself and its own narrative um, guideline from a year or two ago. And it does it. Does it feel like there's any real investigative open journalism happening anymore? Ah, maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like it to me because the market model is somewhat compromised and their audience capture has compromised the ability to be moderate and hold the middle ground, or at least to not feel the need to, to editorialize, to preach, to teach you a lesson. Or, and then of course, um, then of course my view of that is probably also compromised to percentage by my own internal bias and how I am played by the algorithm. I can also admit that, but what are the percentages involved? That is the question. We have no shared narratives anymore, I feel. I spoke about this once before. Um, we once sat with our families and watched the news. I used the example several times because it, it was so impactful, but of the famine in Ethiopia, that devastating news report back in 86, 1986, um, it mobilized my own father to go and work there and help fix their transport structures to move food around. But as a society, we shared that moment and its impact was huge. And we went into school the next day as 11-year-old kids, discussing it amongst ourselves, shocked. We were like, how could this happen in, in the world that we live in? You're 10 or 11, the, the veil hasn't quite dropped yet. But as 11-year-olds, we were in the schoolyard, not talking about Man United versus Liverpool or toys or whatever, but discussing a famine in Ethiopia. This was a huge narrative, and we shared this moment as a society. Um, now everyone kind of has their own vision and version of the news. Um, the, their own, the algorithm is curating it purely for themselves. Um, in their phone, 
waiting to trigger their bias and capture them each day with the attention economy. No one side doesn't, one side doesn't necessarily even hear from the other. But take, for example, the predicted death toll um, as the pandemic started never quite came to Africa, right? Now, why was that? It quietly just became a non-story. Could it because they were already using certain medicines that were successful in combating the spread? Hmm, possibly, potentially. I'm not going to comment really on that. But if Big Pharma is sponsoring your news segment, you certainly aren't going to get that story, right? But what you will get is a story demonizing, for example, Joe Rogan for seeking other treatment um, outside what they are mandating to the public. And then didn't they want the guy to die? It certainly felt like that. Alarm bells in your bullshit detector should be ringing. And also... They also should be ringing in other ways as well. You should be going, Alan, shut the fuck up. I'm staring at the window here and it looks like a nice day outside. I need to get out and get some exercise rather than listen to you talking bullshit. Also accepted. It certainly seems as if we, the public, have less and less say. The political class over the last couple of years uh, have enacted emergency powers. Um, um, Were you asked or about or consulted about any of them? Certainly not. It's for your own good, we were told. And now, as certain narratives unravel, a lot of people are wondering about the wisdom of what was done. But most people were scared, witless, because for the political class, democracy is kind of annoying, right? Certainly, it feels more like more and more decisions that concern you and I or your kids' future are not even acted out with the democratic principle of us being consulted. Unelected forums and groups have expedited their control over the system over the coming years, and it clearly feels like the structure of democracy for what it was worth has been carefully deconstructed and been sold to you with your own safety as the main concern. Look, look, don't worry your pretty head about it. It's it's too complex anyway. Did anyone vote for any of these things? So a growing percentage of people are wondering what their place is within this structure. I mean, of course, democracy, as I said, what a vast topic that is that an idiot like me um, can only sort of speak to in um, somewhat ignorant terms. But democracy has always had its problems, and I certainly believe that for it to thrive, every government should be afraid of its people, not its people afraid of its government. That's called authoritarianism. There has to be accountability and some other, some other moral recompense. To me, it feels like this is partly gone. Um, if another lockdown, for example, was declared, for whatever the reason might be, will you be consulted or asked? And um, People have... People also have difficult and complex lives. And this is something that to bring this down to a more human conversation, but kids to bring to school and feed when they get home and trouble and strife. Um, Just the daily rigmarole of life gets in the way. Um, I have the time. And this is what leads me down the road to trouble, uh, to thinking about these things. But after a hard day, people just take in the narrative, tired, weary, just want to get some food in, sit down on the couch. Um, So when you tell them, hey, that particular radio station or newspaper has received funding from this particular billionaire's philanthropic fund. Um, so therefore, you know, a thing you're reading or looking at, I think it's probably compromised to some degree. Oh, they're either too weary to argue with me, they can't quite get their heads around the implication, or they just, if they open that door, um, then this unlocks a whole lot of other things. Take, for example, I have two different groups of friends. Um, One, all have children, the other don't. And they're both educated. They're clever people. Both of these two particular sides of, um, you know, these two particular houses. Um, And for the one with the kids, they are far less likely to open the door to considering any of these things because their lives are much more hectic and full of their kids' lives. And they also can't believe that the institutions of state would lie to them, for example, in the way that I'm implicating. Not necessarily saying everything, of course not. But what I'm implying is like, if we open the door to that, then where does it end? And I have to believe that my children grow up in a better world. Whereas for the group of people without kids who have the time and the space, they're far more inclined to take their own personal liberty and freedom, I think, much more seriously, to think beyond the parish, so to say, and are open to suggestive ideas about, um, you know, what other people would call conspiracy theories or um, the idea that there is a sort of globalist vision for the world. Um, But one house will call the other, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. They'll reach for the easiest, bluntest tool. Um, But the reality is that we're all 
affected by these narratives. But we, it's just a case of where you sit in life. I certainly believe it's a, complica- it's a complicated situation. And part of the reason why is because we're all receiving our own particular... Um, we're all looking at some of the same stories from a different angle. or They're curated differently. They're editorialized. Edi- that's a complicated word to say. Editorialized. No, I got it wrong the third time. But you know what I mean. Um, part of something else that's also contributing to um, our lack of faith in institutions, I feel, is the ongoing war on reality. If none of us can agree on basic foundation principles in society, the building blocks of our understanding um, kind of crumble. And it's perfectly designed to divide and conquer us. Um, played by the institutions of technocracy. Now, I've said before, I'm a, what you would call a man of science or a believer in the scientific method. But as I've already outlaid, of course, the spokespeople for what we are told to follow can also be compromised and lobbied because of their funding um, or their political affiliations. But if, if, any, if any of you haven't seen the documentary about the tobacco lobby and the people hired to tell stories to the public, you should watch that. But increasingly, we are told, for example, um, you know, this kind of war on STEM subjects, that maths isn't what we're told, but a construct, that biology isn't what we thought, that essentially nothing really means anything, which, of course, leads to chaos. And the agents of chaos, quite simply, I think, want to remodel, remake society. They want to tear it all down. To, um, so argument and division, as people fight over the meaning of words, um, and we are engaged in some kind of crazy Orwellian power struggle socially, culturally, all sold on this concept that the people on the other side are good or evil. All of my opinion, let's say, cheered on from the sidelines by, let's call them the 1%. It's a bad description, but certainly if you are, A, attempting to reshape society, then dividing it makes it easier to conquer. We're engaged in a decade-long, specifically if we consider the derangement we're all dealing with because of social media, a decade-long war on reality and our grey matter. Encouraged, you know, to live as our avatars, to see the other, as I said, as evil and other them. And once you other the other side, you can justify great evil perpetrated against them. Remember a year ago or so ago in the public sphere, the people championing the building of camps, camps to send people depending on their decision whether or not to take certain medicine. Camps in Europe to which to send people based on a medical judgment, a decision. And I knew people who had been so filled with the propaganda who were like, yep, that sounds like a reasonable idea. Camps, health camps. Well, why not re-education camps? And maybe you've forgotten, but certainly there was an awful lot of people. Um, I knew people and there were people in the mainstream. There were people online saying variations of this thing. These people, they have no right to rights. Now, of course, Agitators Anonymous does not deal generally in absolutes or black and white arguments or in zero to 100 percent. The truth is always in the middle. It could be 27 percent, 71 percent, and it fluctuates. I personally feel, as I've often said, politically homeless, but I sort of refuse to be bound by these partisan binary choices. Kind of refuse to be drawn on one side or other. But I can tell you, building camps to send people who disagree with the state or whatever the criteria is, you only have to go back so far into human history to see where this thinking leads us to. It leads to the darkest places in human history that we can possibly inhabit, and make no mistake about that. And yet, I knew clever people who sat opposite me in the bar, well, when we were allowed into a bar, um, who were kind of vaguely incandescent with rage, who were on that path. Yeah, well, you know, they've, they've given up their right to have rights. Maybe it's just the amount of information that we take in but certainly it feels like um politics is more of a sport now it's more like pantomime more it's more like theater you pick your side and you just watch i mean trump was the perfect example of that he just a you know a wrecking ball a bull in a china shop and people kind of voted for him out of you know partly petulance humor many other things they just were like yeah get in there fuck the place up because i think so many people are Um, dissatisfied, they're disengaged, they don't feel that anything actually speaks to them or that anything that they're going to do really has any direct say in, in, they're not active within politics anymore. Politics doesn't really speak to them. It's become like a sort of, you know, in in the main body, a sport. While behind that, I think, you know, the sort of globalist vision of the world gets on with what it was trying to do in the first place anyway.
And it's hard not to feel cynical towards it. It's hard not to feel that regardless of whatever you vote in, that it's not really going to have that much of a difference. But that sense of apathy, I suppose, is what allows these things to sneak in by stealth. And before you know it, the slow erosion of your liberties and conformity. So politics becomes a sport. I support Team A, you support Team B. All right, let's... We watch our politicians on online, on YouTube, or on the TV, and they often get 20, 30, 40, 45 seconds to score a direct hit on their opponent, um, much like a game show. And then you kind of cheer on a bit from the sidelines and go, oh, okay, and then a day later, there's something else is occupying the news cycle. So how do we find a news source that we can trust? It is relatively difficult. Of course, the name of the podcast is Agitators Anonymous. So I'm sort of more interested in those kind of things. Like I said, if it was the Asher, it'll be grand podcast. And I just was on here talking about the best way to make a cup of tea or that you should go out and walk the dog and, you know, take a, a little run for yourself. You know, you would probably be in a better state of mind than listening to the things I'm talking about. But that's not it's a bit less interesting, isn't it? How many of you were confused and bemused and uh, amazed by all of the the crypto conversation? Um, How many of you were or knew crypto bros? You got emails from the messages, uh, all sorts of things saying, you've got to get in on the action for it's too late. You've got to get in. You've got to get in. I know every other day, it seemed to me, I had a crypto bro uh, sending me links to this, that and the other. And I viewed it all with skepticism. Never really quite understood it. And then when I did try and understand it, I, got, I, I, my opinion was that how is the old traditional system going to allow this to take place? My feeling was that the powers that be in the world are going to take one look at crypto and go, how do we A, get in on this, co-opt it or shut it down? And it seems to me the whole collapse of FTX and the Sam Bankman-Fried, um, this huge contusion that surrounds crypto right now is but was somehow part of taking it down hard to say exactly but you all know exactly who i'm talking about you got to get in on the action huge amounts i know people who lost tens of thousands of euro um, but i don't know a single person who came out the other side having made anything they all lost were we just all had were we all just played no, you didn't really understand it, said a friend of mine. Yeah, you're probably right. And I have one particular friend who still, still preaches the gospel of it. And I said, okay, but how is it going to be possible to buy a loaf of bread? I think that's the concern of most normal people. Oh, it doesn't really work like that. Okay, well then, how does it? how is it possible for it to speak to regular people? And again, it seemed to me the, the confusion of the narrative between point A and point B just got too obtuse for most people and they still can't figure out, they can't penetrate the fog of what it actually means or does not mean. And maybe that's, it's a very good example of um, any modern narrative about how difficult it is to get right to the bare bones of it. Because in principle, the idea of a banking system that isn't controlled centrally sounds incredible. It sounds great. But how does it affect our day-to-day in the real world? Again, quite complicated. And I certainly never quite understood it. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, how could they even be a thing? It just seemed so dumb to me, just looking at these people paying tons of money for little animated pictures of animals. It seemed to be so emblematic, emblematic, such a symbol of um, where modern society had gone, watching dumb, vacuous celebrities show off pictures they have of um, small animals on their phone. But yet again, I had people who swore by it. Again, all very quiet now. Um, Seems like they were played just like everyone else. This, I think, is part of the narcissism of social media derangement. Um, We have, over the last couple of years, all declared ourselves at times, oh, experts. Um, I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. But how many people suddenly were financial experts, geopolitical experts, vote-counting experts, virology experts, to a degree? They all played the game, spurred on by their partisan view of, of, of the world sometimes. Because the social media derangement, the narcissism involved has said to them, well, our lived experience cannot be invalidated because we had a thought about a thing. So let's throw that out into the world. But who is an expert? Of course there are. Of course there are experts. But... Often we see them on TV, we're given, they're given the 30 seconds to score a direct hit while shouting over other such experts, 
And again, it's part of the pantomime, part of the sport, perfectly played black propaganda. If the narratives are always obscured with misinformation and disinformation, then who knows what exactly is real? Is anything real? Um, And so while you keep the public at each other's throats fighting over their particular piece of information, um, then everything else can just exist behind a veil beyond that. Or maybe by degrees, little of that is true. And if you do take my advice to go outside and get a cup of coffee and walk the dog and run around the park, you'll probably be better off. And therefore, I kind of admire or envy the people who are able to not engage with so much of this stuff. But it certainly feels that the power of lobby is greater than it ever was. The power to be able to control media narratives, the people who influence them, um, it feels greater than it ever was. So what's my advice? Take a holiday while you still can. Well, my friends, that is episode 142, a sort of open-minded ramble across the concepts of democracy about lobbying all this kind of stuff maybe i hit the mark maybe i'm wide of the mark but we'll see you next week for on tuesday some more heavy metal chat and i think we're going to have some guests um, coming up soon because everyone's tired of hearing my voice say the same old things planet satan over and out hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.